0: Welcome to the Truth For Doubt Discussion Series. I'm your host, Michael Badger, and this week, Dr. Ethan and I sit down with Dr. Hunter Baker. Dr. Baker serves as Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at Union University and is also an Associate Professor of Political Science. He is also the author of three books, including The End of Secularism, Political Thought, A Student's Guide, and The System Has a Soul. His work has been endorsed by Robert P. George, Russell Moore, David Dockery, John Mark Reynolds, Andrew Claven from dailywire.com, and many others. And Dr. Baker was gracious enough to sit down with us and talk about the relationship between Christianity and politics and how our faith can inform our political decisions. So we hope that you enjoy our discussion with Dr. Hunter Baker. <music> All right, Dr. Baker, again, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. We really we can't tell you how much we appreciate it. So just for those of you uh, who, who don't know who Dr. Baker is, can you just give us like a little synopsis of, of who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, um, I'm the Dean of Arts and Sciences at Union University, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which is a uh, Christian university in Tennessee. Uh, I have written three books on religion and politics, The End of Secularism, um, the System Has a Soul and Political Thought, A Student's Guide. Um, I was an early adapter in the, the days of blogging when all that right. started. Oh, and, cool. uh, <laughs> so I used to blog and wrote for all these online magazines and things like right. that, you know. And now it's all, kind of, it's all kind of flowing out into social media, you know, just right. into a never-ending stream now. But right. I've been active with that and have spoken all over the country and even once in South Africa uh, oh, interesting! Almost always that. about uh, politics and religion or higher education.
0: Wow, wow! So, in, yeah. so, even in South Africa, you had these talks as well. That's right. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah. So, so you, so I, have obviously been all over the world with South Africa. But like, are, are they as interested in American politics as like uh, as Europeans are? Because I spent <laughs> I spent several years in Europe and. And they are obsessed, uh, almost, it seems like, with American politics.
1: Everybody in the world knows who Donald Trump is. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. sure. I, think, I think he may be close to being the most famous man in the world. Right, yeah, right, for good. yeah so about. they know him. But let me say this. I mean, um, in South Africa, um, I had a chance to observe their politics. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, some of the problems that we have, uh, whether we're thinking about race or about uh uh, about impact of social inequality or mm-hmm. or burdens of history, mm-hmm. they've got it times 20. I right. mean, you know, so, right. it's, uh, so, so they are dealing with some pretty, really working out some serious things. Right. And it presents interesting challenges for Christians. I know that this pod- podcast uh, has to deal with faith, right? Mm-hmm. And right. so right. one of the things that I saw is that the Christians there, uh, particularly the white Christians, mm-hmm. right? uh they were struggling with, you know, how do you uh, how do you think about preserving culture versus your commitment to the Christian faith,
0: right, right? That's, mm-hmm.
1: uh Because for them, they're very attached to sort of this language they've had, Afrikaans,, mm-hmm. right. uh, and to, the culture of white people in South Africa. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes I would talk about the indigenous people and they would say, we're indigenous. Right. You know, we, <laughs> right. We're indigenous yeah. to this place. We've been here, you know, 150 <laughs> years or whatever, you know. Right, right. right. Uh, and so so it's just it's very interesting to see people struggle with questions of identity yeah, and how they work out their faith in the context of that identity.
0: Right, yeah. right. Wow, man, that's fascinating. So yeah. do they have, and work this... <clears throat> not really on the questions that we no, had for you but I'm super interested yeah. so do they have a, a a problem or like trouble seeing their identity being first in Christ And then in in whatever culture and that kind of yeah,
1: yeah. Well, because because the white black thing has been so strong Mm -hmm. there for such a long time, and it's interesting. I think that we tend to look at South Africa and apartheid, Mm -hmm. and we want to map it onto like in the South, our segregation, our Jim Crow, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. But when you go there, you realize this is actually kind of a different thing. This is more like. This is more like the white people and the, and the Native Americans, the right. Indians, right? right. Uh, Interesting. Uh, okay. And, and if we had not effectively wiped the Indians out, but rather that the Indians had continued to be around, uh-huh. conquered, but yet much more numerous. Right. 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 And, and so then what does the society look like working that out over time? And, and you know, as a, as a person who studies uh, politics and, and social science, I can kind of understand, right, why... Why were the white people so intent on controlling
2: mm-hmm. the right. black people? Right, mm-hmm. you know these
1: rigid controls where they could be, what they could do. Yeah, they had a tiger by the tail, right? You know, they're, right, <laughs> right. They, so, so you know, they they are maintaining a system of great injustice mm-hmm. to some extent because they're afraid what will happen if they if they don't. Yeah. Right? right, you know, it's, they they don't know how to maintain this equilibrium. And that just shows you it's it's about justice, right? I mean, yeah. right, um, right. Augustine, I, I sound like a liberal, but that's not who I am. But, <laughs> sure, sure. but, but in politics, right? I mean, for people to live together, for mm-hmm. people to hold a political community together, there has to be justice. People have to feel mm-hmm. that there right. is a justice that is there that they are a part of. And if you don't have that... Mm-hmm. You're you're either going to have anarchy when everything falls apart, or you're mm-hmm. going to have oppression. Right, mm. right. And and that's what their history was. Yeah. Wow, man. Very that's, interesting. Yeah. 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 That's
0: intense. So, <clears throat> how, how did you get into politics? I mean, I guess you know, I, our first question was uh, your faith journey. How how did you become a Christian, and then and then following up with that, like why politics? What, yeah. what drove you yeah. to politics?
1: Well, um, the way I became Christian is is interesting. Um, now, I grew up in the south. Right okay. uh, in the 1970s, the 1980s, mm-hmm. uh, Alabama and the Panhandle of Florida, Pensacola area. Okay, mm-hmm. some of us call it the Redneck Riviera. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, right, right. Uh, That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, grew up there. Um, I was not a Christian, um, you know. So there's a sense in which all Southerners are sort of quasi-Christian in some right. sense, sure. right? Yeah. There's sort of this. Uh, <clears throat> Culture of uh, you know, I mean, I, I can't remember who used. Maybe Flannery O'Connor called the South Christ haunted, mm-hmm. right? You know? <laughs> right. Uh, so, so sort of Christ haunted. But I will just tell you, um, as somebody who grew up in North Alabama and then Florida,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and, and who was taken to church from time to time. Um, you know, sometimes people invite me to a lock-in or something like that, and I right. have to watch a little ten-minute thing where one of the Atlanta Braves would testify to his faith, or you know, something, yeah, right. something right. of that. <laughs> I did not get it. I yeah. did not understand it at all. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the America that I grew up in, you know, uh, the one of the, one or more of the major networks would always have Jesus of Nazareth or the greatest story ever told or something on in prime time at yeah. Easter, you know, that sort of thing. Right, right. right. And, and the same kind of stuff at Christmas on the big networks. And I just watched it. And I didn't get it at all. I mean, mm-hmm. they'd get to the point where they're nailing him to the cross. And I'm like, why are they nailing him to the cross? Uh-huh. You know, I just, Right. <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't get it at all. Right. <laughs> well, just, this story doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Right. You know? right. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and, and interestingly, I paid no attention to the resurrection Yeah. either. Um and so the weird thing that happened to me is that I went to Florida State University. Mm-hmm. Um I I don't know how many people go to Florida State to become a Christian. Oh, it's, probably, <laughs> not probably not many. Probably it's probably kind of the opposite right, thing, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but I went and um and I kind of my dorm um my dorm was sodom and gomorrah even mm. in 1988 wow uh and you know if you told me i had to send my daughter there i think you'd have to kill me first wow. uh, you know right <laughs> yeah. uh because you know i i immediately fell into kind of that uh drinking partying carousing sure. culture right and um and i can tell you right away one of the things is that i saw girls seriously mistreated uh in that environment you know Mm -hmm. thank god i was not a participant in that but Mm -hmm. you know i can remember things like that happening girls telling me about that stuff and um but you know one night in particular i just uh i just went crazy i probably drank like 14 double vodkas oh wow way way more than you should drink right and um and i can remember developing the feeling i cannot I cannot feel my head. Yeah. I cannot. You know, <laughs> right. I can't feel it at all. Yeah. And then I started to think, if I would pick up my head and slam it against the table as hard as I can, yeah, I bet I wouldn't feel it. it. And it was true. It oh was true. God. I slammed it against the table as hard as I could. I couldn't feel it. Oh, and, man. Um, and I remember going to bed that night, and I looked up the ceiling, and the ceiling was just spinning, you know. Whoo, 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 oh, gosh. You know? Right. And, uh, and I woke up the next day, and I was... As you might imagine, a totally miserable human being. Right. Yeah. Um, The 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 male humanitarians around me said, "Well, there's only one thing you can do." I'm like, "What?" They said, "You got to eat a lot. You got to eat a lot. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of greasy (laughs) food. Get a get a big breakfast in. That'll settle you up. You'll be okay." Right. <clears throat> that, of course, just added to my misery. Oh, I, I spent no. you know, probably the next, I don't know, 12 to 14 hours crawling around our communal men's room. Which oh, is not my as gosh. You, as men, you yeah. know what that must be like. <laughs> yeah. right? the, oh, man. That's just gross. And uh, I was just dying, right? I yeah. really, I was afraid I was going to die. I probably did have alcohol poisoning to a degree or something oh, like that. And I prayed to God. I said, God, you know, classic foxhole prayer, yeah. right? Yeah. God... If I will survive this, yeah, then I will attend a religious meeting of some kind, right? <laughs> right? You know, yeah. that's what I—that's what I said, yeah. <clears throat> and I didn't know <laughs> enough to say what kind of a religious. Sure, anything. Right. Right? I'll just deal I'll go to a making, religious meeting, right. right. I'm making the I just deal need right. Something, please stop. Right. And, uh, and so <clears> um, I knew I knew a guy who went to this thing called Intervarsity Christian Fellowship. Mm, yeah. they held on Tuesday nights down in the student union. And uh, and I went to it, and I remember there was a, a group of them. They were kind of filling in the first three rows of the room. There was probably I don't know ten or fifteen rows. I sat all the way in the back. They invited me to come forward and sit with them. No, no, I'm good. You yeah. know, it's kind of just kind of taking care of an obligation here. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, right. 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 And uh, you know and, I, and you know man, this is a, this is a long time ago. So they're putting the transparencies up on the overhead projector. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. right. Yeah. With the lyrics, exactly. you know. And, <laughs> Nobody at that time played guitar, so like one guy's playing a trumpet and this girl's got this crazy synthesizer and they're playing oh, it, you know. <laughs> wow, yeah. Lord, will you lift your name on high? You know, right, right. I didn't know any of this music or sure. anything. Yeah. Um, and I walked out and I thought, well, that's that, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but the crazy thing is, <clears throat> the crazy thing is I just kept going back. Right. I can't explain it. I Man. just, you know, uh,
0: something drawing you back. Yeah, to it? I
1: don't really, I don't really take a side in the whole, you know, uh, predestination free will type deal. I, sure. I just sort of embrace the mystery. Sure. Uh, if I look at it one way, it's like I made all the choices, and if yeah. I look at it another way, it's like choreography. Right. You know right. what I mean. Right. But, yeah. And uh, and I just kept coming back and. They were remarkably tolerant of my ignorance mm-hmm. and stupidity. I knew mm-hmm. nothing, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, right. and I and I was not really solicitous of their feelings or or anything. And sure. people would make appointments to mentor me, and I would miss the appointments, or wow. I would yeah. go to Bible studies and I would fall asleep. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is all to counsel patience right. to those of you dealing with people who are nonbelievers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're coming yeah. around. You know, be patient with them. Be tolerant. Absolutely. Right, right. Well, and, and, and sorry to <coughs> yeah. interrupt, but that's, it
2: makes me think, what What was it about, was it something specifically about these people that kept you coming
1: back? Yeah, or? That's, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, I think that a big part of it was, was that I found them to be admirable. Okay. That mm-hmm. was a really big thing for me. Two okay. things. Two things I noticed. I found them to be admirable, mm-hmm. right? Some of the most admirable people I've ever known. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was was that unlike anybody I had ever known, they talked about Jesus like he was a real person. Right. I see. So it's constantly talking about Jesus, and you know, and and honestly, at first, uh, you know, young people today talk about being triggered.
0: Uh, right, right for me Jesus
1: was like a trigger word you know it was yeah. like an embarrassing <laughs> right, you know, yeah. only crazy like televangelist people second. Bible thumpers. you know yeah. Jimmy Swaggart or you know whatever or Pat Robertson yeah you know, or Jim Baker 700 Club you know uh, right uh, oh that was PTL praise the Lord um but so I had a totally negative association in sure. fact my teenage years were a lot of those televangelist scandal years right uh, I see um, but I met these people who were these you know out there, Christians
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, who talked about Jesus like they knew Him,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so I I tell people that that my conversion came about in two stages. If you've ever seen the Kevin Costner movie Dances with Wolves, okay, oh yeah, oh, yeah. which yeah. is you know about this 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 uh, American soldier cavalryman who goes out in the frontier, meets the Indians. At first, he hates them. Yeah but he comes to admire and love them and then he wants to be one of them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And live among them. And that that, so that was stage one was that I became that, right? Mm-hmm. I, I see. I, I admired the Christians. I wanted to be with the Christians. I would try to talk the Christian talk. I still didn't get it. I wasn't convicted yet, but I was just trying to play that role. Right, right. 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 And, um, <clears throat> and I can remember I tried to witness to this girl, predictably it's a girl, right? I tried to witness to a girl <laughs> sure. and she said, well, my dad's a Buddhist. What do you say about that? Uh, Oh, no I don't I don't I have no idea what I think about that right you know yeah. I just totally mm-hmm. yeah right uh, I had nothing and um and it's interesting there was this girl in the chapter and I told her about it and actually you know this girl Ethan I see uh, <laughs> and I and I okay. told her I, I told her what happened and she said I I don't want to insult you but did you ever think about maybe reading some books about the christian faith did you you know educate yourself right you know did you ever just consider that you know i mean intervarsity always had a book table and you know you could pick this stuff right and so then i did you know it's it sort of like augustine and his mother monica and and he heard this girl saying you know uh take and read take and read mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and um and so i picked up this book called Between Heaven and Hell by Peter Kreeft, who's a philosopher, mm-hmm. academic mm-hmm. philosopher and a Christian. Yeah, And um, and it was, a you know, I don't know if people know this, but C.S. Lewis, Aldous Huxley, who wrote Brave New World, and John F. Kennedy died within 24 hours of each other.
0: Wow. Oh. And
1: so the book imagines them having a conversation right. after death somewhere between heaven and hell. Interesting. And through my reading of that book... I became convinced that Jesus Christ was actually resurrected from the dead, wow. mm-hmm. and yeah. that's when that's when I stopped being Kevin Costner, mm-hmm. right? And I actually came to embrace the Christian faith, you know. For real, right? right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So that's how I became a Christian. Wow, man! So yeah.
0: it was—it was kind of a later in life conversion. Kind yeah, of thing. I was—I so.
1: was probably about nineteen. Yeah, yeah. Wow.
0: So did you already kind of have like an uh, an affinity for politics at that point in time, or did that kind of come after? your... I would,
1: yeah, I was interested in politics a long time before I was interested in religion. Got uh, it. Got <laughs> <it>. Yeah, <laughs> sure, yeah, sure. yeah. I can remember. Um, I can remember even as a very small child. Sitting on the sofa with my mother, watching the returns from uh, Ford versus Carter in 1976. Wow. Yeah, man. Come in, you know, and that, right. I think that was a late night. Um, and so, yeah, I was always interested, you know, my dad was an engineer, but he would talk about politics. Yeah. Right, uh, right. He was a Barry Goldwater fan. You sure. know, if people yeah. know who Barry Goldwater yeah. is. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I was always interested. And the other thing is, you know, this is very different generationally for mm-hmm. you guys, mm-hmm. But the Cold War was an all encompassing reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. right. I mean, we um during those years, especially in teenage years, every night I went to bed, I was afraid of nuclear war. Right. Yeah. You know, and that was—I did pray to God about that. More, more foxhole, right? You know, right. I prayed that nuclear war would not put an end to life on Earth. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, I can't
0: imagine that because I was listening to um, actually a guy that I saw uh, wrote a review for one of your books, Andrew Clavin. Uh, yeah. He was talking about the just. How you know, like you said, our generation doesn't realize like the fear people lived in all the time totally, because totally. of the
1: Cold War. That's right. It was it was absolute. It was just you know the absolute sort of existential dread. Yeah. Of what might happen, and you know if you ever want to have a picture of grace. That's what it was like when the Cold War suddenly came to an end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was just like this oppressive reality that's yeah. everywhere suddenly ended. Yeah. Wow. But it's funny, you know, if you listen to like the songs that were popular for senior songs or prom or things like that. For um, my generation, you know, we had an obsession with whether the bomb would be dropped and post-apocalyptic stuff. Right. If you think about like punk rock music, the way they dress, the way they appear, that's, that's all kind of portraying post-apocalypse. Yeah. Right. That's, that's right. sort of... Right, wow. So that's what we thought about. Wow. Man. How would you drive away from the bomb or would you drive toward it? Right, right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Exactly, right. yeah. Well, yeah. I when I
0: was, uh, oh man, I, I was really young with when like 2011 happened, um, or not 2011, sorry, 9-11 happened. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I remember, because I, I lived in East Tennessee, and so we're not too far away from Oak Ridge, Yeah. and I just remember hearing some adults talking about how uh, they were afraid that, uh, that you know, the Oak Ridge plant was going to get attacked. And so I remember as a, just as a kid laying in my bed thinking, okay, so I should probably sleep with my head towards oak ridge wow so that if it exploded and i got caught up in the explosion my head would get obliterated first and then i wow. wouldn't feel the rest of my, oh body. my gosh so I, was like, I know i was, just, I was <laughs> pretty, a young, pretty morose dude. child oh yeah. man yeah <laughs> wow. I know. oh my so, goodness like it's not the same as, as what you guys went through but like I, kept, I got like a little glimpse of i'm sure the the feeling of of oh gosh man, that's right yeah it was imagine. like that all the time yeah right man so but you said that you know from a very early age that that you were into politics and I things was, like that, yeah. and then well, uh, because
1: we knew it mattered, right? right? I mean, it's mm-hmm, like yeah. I mean, look, if you depending on where you lived mm-hmm. in the world, you know, you could be literally under someone's social control, right, right, all the time. And I mean, you know, the other thing that's interesting is that um, is that if you think about Pope John Paul II, mm-hmm. uh, who became the Pope in the in the late seventies. One of the things that was really significant about him was that he was from a captive nation. Mm-hmm. He was from Poland, that was dominated by the Soviet Empire, right? And that was part of what made his witness so amazing, right? You know, is that that he was in defiance mm. uh, of this sort of you know aggressive atheist power mm-hmm. um, that had been oppressing the people of Poland and Eastern Europe for some time, right? Huh. Right.
2: Wow. So yeah. so growing like growing up, kind of as you're going through this in college. Um, what were some of your some of your biggest um, like spiritual and political influences at that time? You know.
1: Yeah. Um, well, so I would say that I would say a couple of things. Happened. So first of all, I was a um, very typical sort of Reagan supporting mm-hmm. 1980s kid. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny to think of now, but at my high school, which was a public high school, huge public high school, yeah. mm-hmm. but supporting Reagan was cool. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, that was that was all right. that was all awesome, right? You know. Uh, <laughs> Movie and, star. Uh, oh, that's you know. good. <laughs> that's right. And um, he was just popular. He was good at it. Yeah. I, I mm-hmm. haven't seen anybody that good at it since.
2: Yeah.
1: Um but so I was that way and you know, and he was the guy who was who was sort of attacking the Soviet Union and mm-hmm. not kowtowing and you know, all mm-hmm. that so that was big. Um and I had always, I think by virtue of having an engineer father uh, who's a total, you know, sort of meritocrat type person? Sure. Um, so I was into the free market and you mm-hmm. know the um, Milton Friedman, Friedman and yeah. Friedrich Hayek, and yeah. and Florida State University's economics department of that time was very much that way. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, probably still is. But so so that was sort of my we'll call that my secular orientation. Mm-hmm. But then the thing that the thing that I would say uh, broadened and deepened me a lot. Was um, I became introduced to the thought of Francis Schaefer. Oh right. Now, yeah. now yeah. for you guys, that's a, that's way back. Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, how should we then live? Yeah. Um, and a number of other number of other books, but the thing about Schaefer was that uh, he was the one who showed me. I remember one night back then, um, some Christian bookstores would have video rentals. Mm-hmm. Okay, some mm-hmm. of the independents and uh and i rented how should we then live yeah and i asked for it and they handed me like 12 videos yes. you know <laughs> this is crazy yeah. i don't think yeah. it cost anymore you know right. but they give me like 12 videotapes wow yeah <clears throat> and i went home to watch it and i just i watched like the whole thing yeah. in one night right. i just kept right. watching it and basically you know if people have seen him he's this crazy looking guy yeah. right you know this uh yeah. The slicked back hair, <coughs> right. long almost down to his shoulders, yeah. Um, you know, a chin beard with no mustache, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he would always wear these Swiss hiking pants, you know, that kind of come down to his calves. Well, he lived and, in Switzerland, didn't he? Yes, he, for he a did. Little while. Yes, yeah. he did. He was, <laughs> he was an American, <laughs> yeah. from St. Louis, uh, living, living in Switzerland. He had yep. become a missionary out there, <laughs> and uh. But, you know, these videos, he's kind of just tromping around in museums and standing in front of paintings and and going in courthouses and looking at documents and and listening to music and talking about movies and Mm -hmm. all of it. He's talking about how the Christian faith interacts Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. these things. So he was the guy who showed me. That uh that Christianity touches upon everything, right? right. It's not just right. like the stuff in the Christian bookstore. It's everything. Yeah. Right, it's everything right. everywhere. It's a very holistic view yep. of the Christian faith. Yep. And I remember I, I said something like that to a colleague um at Union years ago, and he says, Oh yeah, Francis Schaefer was the gateway drug for all of us, you know. Right. That's yeah. that's yeah. That's what it was like, Absolutely. right? Oh, um, and Absolutely. so he is the one who caused me to Uh, to move from just kind of having what I would call a a secular conservative political orientation to having a much broader and much more theologically informed sort of view of things. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: Yeah. it's funny that you mentioned him because I I was watching those exact same videos uh, online one time and my wife came in. And, like, saw the computer screen and was very confused on what I was watching <laughs> yeah, really. and who I was watching. He really is one of the strangest looking it's guys. True. But true. Like, Absolutely. I, I read through the Christian Manifesto a couple of years ago, and it's amazing how applicable it is to now. <clears throat> it's it's amazing. Oh, yeah. It's like you yeah. predicted every single thing <clears throat> uh, that uh, has come to pass well, and is still going on.
1: And let me say something else that's really important about him. Um, Nineteen seventy-two, when Roe v. Wade happened. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, uh, conservative Protestants don't typically realize this, but when Roe v. Wade happened, um, even your conservative Southern Baptists were like fine with it, mm-hmm. totally cool with it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, right. Yeah. hey, great, my parishioner's daughter won't have a scandal anymore. You yeah. know, what I mean, That's stuff yeah, like that, right? I, absolutely. And um, and and the the Catholics were were against it, right? Mm-hmm. The Catholics were still pro life and strongly so. But it was Francis Schaefer who really kind of came forth and started speaking prophetically yeah. about the sanctity of life. Mm-hmm. And he and a famous Philadelphia uh, pediatric surgeon, mm-hmm. C. Everett Coop, who people now remember as the Surgeon General of the United States in the 1980s, yeah. they made these films called Whatever Happened to the Human Race. And it's also mm. a book. But I think that that, more than anything, was responsible for uh, moving American Protestants, especially American conservative Christians, to a pro-life ethic.
0: Right, right. Wow, man, that's amazing. Well, with all that being said, um, I I would like to know, because there's there's a debate that often goes on that that I've heard quite a bit, whether the, the founding of the U.S. was based off of you know secular principles you know brought about by the enlightenment kind of cut off from from any sort of you know religious aspect or on the other side of the spectrum you have you know it's it you know it was like one step away from being a theocracy almost so you kind of have like those two polar ends so what where is the religious part of the founding
1: yeah it's it is super mixed Mm -hmm. right i mean so um we could uh, we could go through that founding generation. So let's take a big name, um, Patrick Henry. Right, give okay. me liberty or give me death. Mm-hmm. Right. Patrick Henry is very much that sort of evangelical Christian that we would recognize. Yeah. Okay. okay? Um, you put somebody over against him, a Thomas Jefferson. Yep. Jefferson is totally not, right? Mm. Right? Jefferson is the guy who goes through the Bible, cuts out the <laughs> miracles of Jesus. Exactly. He, <laughs> you know, Jesus is the good moral teacher, but he didn't do all this stuff. Yep. And, right. uh, and, you know, and then kind of in between them, he takes somebody like George Washington, um, who goes to church, you know, he's in his pew every Sunday.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but he's also the guy who loves this language about kind of the governor of the universe, and, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of... Uh, you know, so he sounds very deistic, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so you have all these different kinds of people, right, who are kind of in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, now I think that uh, H. Richard Niebuhr wrote a book, "Kingdom of God in America," and I think he kind of gets it right that uh, among that group that's very intellectually prominent, sort of that philosopher group, mm-hmm. um, it's probably it's probably more weighted toward mm-hmm. those sort of enlightenment. Mm-hmm. uh you know, classical tradition type people, sure um but within the broader movement it's probably ten to one Christian right okay right um, the way I often talk about it when I when I explain to students is that um, really there are these two major intellectual streams in the west, mm-hmm. okay and one of them is uh is Christianity which kind of became super well rooted after the fall of Rome, mm-hmm. right I mean it's really, it's really Catholic Christianity and then the Reformation mm-hmm. that that calls the tune culturally in Europe for centuries upon centuries after the fall of Rome. Right. Right. Yeah. But the Renaissance, what we think of as the Renaissance, that is really that reemergence of the classical Greco-Roman tradition. Sure. And yeah. so by the time of the American founding, what you're looking at is those two streams together, mm-hmm. right? Kind of in a Uh, Sort of a happy fusion, right? Resulting in the American constitutional order uh, that we tend to appreciate. So it's very mixed. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, So I've been reading a a book by uh, Ben Shapiro, and it's his newest one that came out um, uh, called "The Right Side of History," and it's Mm. it's all about kind of how the American uh, found the foundation of America has has its roots in both Judeo Christianity or Jerusalem, he likes to say. And then also Athens, and you kind of see them, you know, both, you know, kind of spring up through, uh, you know, through the founders being kind of interested in, you know, the kind of the Lockean philosophy. That's and right. Everything That's like right. That. So, yeah,
1: there's a great book by um, Russell Kirk. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's most famous for the Conservative Mind, mm-hmm. but he wrote a book called The Roots of American Order, mm-hmm. and he identifies these four cities, and it's I think it's um, I think it's I think it's um Athens, Rome. Jerusalem and London. Mm-hmm. Okay, those are sort of the four yeah. different rivers that flow into the American tradition. Interesting. right, right.
0: Yeah. man. So now uh, that we're in, you know, 2019, we're a little bit a ways away from from the founding. What is the Christians' responsibility, or how should Christians view politics? Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, what I what I. So if you were to look at kind of mid-century, mid-20th century America, mm-hmm. uh, you would find a lot of American um, Christians who would say just don't have anything to do with politics, right. Mm-hmm. right? Politics is a dirty, inherently corrupted enterprise. I, and I wouldn't be surprised if people began to feel that way again, yeah. you know, the way sure. things are right now, <laughs> yeah. right. I, right. I can't remember a time it was more ugly than it is right now. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> and even though it's kind of my job, I sometimes just want to wash my hands of it because I hate the acrimony and, you know, yeah. right. um, but that having been said, I think about it in terms of the, the, the parable of the talents, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, now Romans 13, uh, puts us in subjection to government, right? You know, mm-hmm. God has established this authority and rulers, you know, Caesar does have a mandate. It's not everything. It's mm-hmm. some things, mm-hmm. right? But in those, some things we're bound to respect the government. Okay. Um, But that having been said, we live in a country where we have had the gift of of being able to rule ourselves, right? Right. Uh, This sovereignty is divided among us as the American people. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: so to me, it's like the parable of the talents. We all possess, you know, we all possess some sliver of that sovereignty. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're responsible for exercising it, Right. right? And so, you know, my friend John Mark Reynolds, he talks about how uh, now you know. Look, maybe you're not that person who's good at kind of reading the news and following politics and knowing mm-hmm. what to do. Find somebody who can make that their ministry to you. Find mm-hmm. somebody you right. trust, right? Sure. Right, and they can help to empower you as you exercise your citizenship. Right,
0: right, man. So I, I've had I've heard a lot of uh, religious people who are who are very much into politics. You know, you know, Ben Shapiro, Andrew Claven and all those guys. Um, <clears throat> they often try to argue their kind of conservative positions without bringing in the authority of the Bible. They think that's a bad thing to do. Yeah. Um, So I was wondering your view on that. Do you think we should kind of try to be able to argue our points from a secular perspective without bringing the Bible
1: into it, or should that
0: not be separated?
1: I take a a holistic view of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, I'm very much against people who say you need to only have a secular political discourse. Right. And the reason I say that is is, that, is that when you do that, you start cutting people in half, right? You right. alienate yeah. people from themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can even kind of turn them into liars where they have to give a reason why they want to do something other than the reason that is actually yeah. motivating them. Right. 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 Um, so if, if you read my book, um, The End of Secularism, a big part of the argument there. Is that is that people should be free to bring any reason to the public square that they find persuasive?
0: Yeah, right. and
1: and the the bar and the limit is is that other people either accept it or they don't, right? right? right. I mean, uh, so be it. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so uh, so my perspective is is that uh, well, let me give you a great example. Okay, mm-hmm. so when people really push the the secular political discourse, mm-hmm. I say, what about Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, letter from Birmingham Jail? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I call that document the the cherry on top of the Western political thought tradition, right? right. You know, yeah. Yeah. fantastic, and it is shot through with Christianity, right? right. The mm-hmm. Augustine, the yeah. Aquinas, you know, Jesus Christ. I mean, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, apostles, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's all there, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and he's flying the flag, and it's persuasive,
0: right? Right? Yeah, and it's it seems to me that yeah. I mean even the the founding principles that are found in our Constitution are. Uh, uh, are based on scriptural principles, on Judeo-Christian values, especially you know found in you know Genesis one, uh, how we're m- like made in the image of God. Oh yeah, uh, and so yeah. It's, it, it would it seems to me hard to completely remove that. Although I do see the, I do understand why they would want to be able to make a secular argument for that as well.
1: Yeah, the the problem is is that if you um, if you work too hard at kind of Breaking apart a political order from its founding sources, Mm -hmm. Uh, you end up with something that's kind of floating in the air, Mm -hmm. and it's destroyed as soon as your agreement about it is destroyed. Yeah, right. right. Um, uh, Elton Trueblood, Quaker philosopher, I loved his picture. He would talk about cut flower civilization, Mm -hmm. right? So when the flower is in the garden, it's connected to the soil, to the source, the water, yeah. the the minerals, you know, the vitamins, all that. Right. And it flourishes, right? Yeah. Uh, when you snip it off at the stem and you take it in the house and you set it in a bowl of water, uh, it will be okay for a few days. Right. Right? But eventually, you have separated it from its source. It will wither. It will die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's the reason to continue to maintain respect for Americans' political traditions.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think, I mean... I assume, is that why, I guess, America has been so kind of unique, I guess? Because, I mean, we are based on those biblical principles. I mean, because you also have, uh, you know, the the French Revolution that happened near, like, the exact same time as the American Revolution. But they were based off of more of the Brasolian principles, which...
1: Aren't necessarily founded in uh, in scripture. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, the French are on their Fifth Republic uh, right. since yeah. since then, right? Yeah, you know, right. there's their current one dates back to like late '50s, early '60s. Yeah, exactly. uh, the right. Things almost came apart uh, mm-hmm. again uh, around then. They fortunately they they found um, De Gaulle, you know, mm. the strong man who could right. hold them together. Yeah. Uh, right. But uh, but in any case, yeah, we the United States actually has as young a country as we are Mm -hmm. we have the longest running written constitution in the world right right Uh, so it has served us well Mm. yeah absolutely yeah man something
2: else that that we've kind of discussed on the podcast um is uh sort of the idea of i guess this younger generation and us being included i suppose (laughs) um of uh of not necessarily just believers but i guess everyone in the younger generation especially when it comes to um political thought um mm-hmm. this idea of disagreement equals hate or disagreement equals yeah. violence yeah. you know um and uh you know i mean seeing multiple examples of you know several um uh controversial speakers going to different um, college campuses, especially, and, you know, having riots and, and you know, more violent protests, um, students setting up safe spaces and that kind of stuff. I just wanted to get your opinion on that. <laughs> you know, have working at a college. Have you experienced any of that from the younger generation, yeah. or just that that thought process? I know? am I
1: am so incredibly grateful that we don't have that. Uh, yeah, at like, Union university. Right. Well, now, yeah. I figured it out. Now, yeah. someday we could, but God sure. forbid, God forbid we do. We haven't to this point. I mean, yeah. we ha- we we certainly have um, conscientious and socially active young people. But right. Mm-hmm. But at no point have they uh, sort of given in to what I, what I view as thuggery, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I think it's essentially criminal conduct uh, <coughs> trying to intimidate people through yeah, physical force. mob rule. Mm-hmm. Mob rule, exactly. Yeah. And, and by the way, the the older political thinkers, right, mm-hmm. that was their name for democracy, mob rule, right? You know, they, <laughs> yep. they despised it. They hated it. So they, exactly. they thought it was a terrible, terrible thing. Right. Right. <clears throat> um, so, you know, so you need something that, that tames the instincts of democracy. Christianity helps with that. Uh, yeah, right. But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but in any case, in any case, um, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of people are worried about young people and, and uh, they're thinking about um, socialism or something like that. The thing that worries me far more uh-huh. is this willingness to, uh, to, to try to use physical force and intimidation or just power of numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah to prevent someone from even speaking, right? right? I mean right, right. and it's such a turn. I mean, I came up uh I, ca- I mean, I came up at Florida State University and in the 80s and if you had spoken against free speech,
0: mm-hmm. people would have
1: freaked out, right? right? I mean, it's just like yeah. Right, yeah. right. Like one of the most, you know, free speech, intellectual independence, uh, freedom of conscience, yeah. just the most fundamental things, mm-hmm. right? And the, the only an authoritarian ruler, mm-hmm. would want to squelch that.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Right?
1: You know, uh, that idea that, you know, I may, I may disagree with you, but I'll fight to the death to protect your right to say the thing I disagree right. with. Right. right. You know? Right. Uh, just a very powerful, powerful tradition. And that has totally turned. Yep. Yes. Uh, you know, and I mean, I, the one thing that really freaks me out is that, like, um, Chick-fil-A, right? I mean, with Chick-fil-A... Right. At the, the the Well, the owner of the company years ago... The owner of the company simply answers a reporter's question about his belief in traditional male-female marriage. Mm -hmm. He says, yes, that's what I believe, right? I'm Mm -hmm. guilty as charged. From that, we have a huge firestorm. You know, immediately the mayors of Boston and Chicago, as I recall, said, we shouldn't even allow Chick-fil-A to have a restaurant here, right? right. As you just briefly mentioned, there have been literally airports around the country that have refused to host Chick-fil-A, For the mere expression of opinion. No evidence that they have ever mistreated anybody. In fact, anybody who's ever been to a Chick-fil-A knows that you aren't mistreated at Chick-fil-A. That's the opposite of what happens at Chick-fil-A, right? Right. Uh, And and yet, uh, people are comfortable using that kind of uh, power on them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. uh, So, uh, I guess, where do you see that going? I mean, do you see that continuing or or getting worse on like the college campuses with the young generation? And and what do you think it is about this young generation that uh, that starts viewing speech as violence and wanting to shut down all these different opinions? Or do you even think it's the younger generation's fault or is it does it start with the the later generation? Or not the later generation, but the older generation?
1: I think it brings us I think it brings us back to Schaefer a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, Schaefer Schaefer originally was kind of um, <clears throat> becoming, becoming a force politically and culturally in mm-hmm. the late 60s, mm-hmm. right? You know, you could see him touring places like Wheaton University and stuff yeah. like that in those days. My, my wife's parents were actually there mm-hmm. during the time when Schaefer visited. Oh, really? You know? Yeah. Oh, that's uh, incredible. Uh, wow. Yeah. And, um, and so he would look at the hippies. And, you know, one of the things that was different about him uh-huh. was that he did not condemn the hippies. Right. right. He mm-hmm. would say, you know, they understand something's wrong. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just that so, so they've, they've got the diagnosis that something is wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, that there are problems in our culture. What they're wrong about is the cure. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. They're they're deeply confused about the cure. Yeah. So, um, so to the extent that people are, are passionate about injustice mm-hmm. and passionate about finding a way to deal with that and, you know, not wanting to kind of uh sleep comfortably uh while others are suffering mm-hmm. that is that is fantastic and incredibly well intentioned mm-hmm. um but i don't know i don't know how this has happened uh where we have it it's uh, one of the things that I study that terrifies me is um chairman maos china mm-hmm. um you know in the mid twentieth century on through the sixties and uh he launched the cultural revolution and you know the 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 teenagers would go about and look and see. Do you have Mao's Little Red Book in your house? Do you have his picture prominently displayed? Mm-hmm. Are you saying things against the government? They would. They were comfortable beating old people with belt buckles, and you know, and right. uh, just all kinds of abuses and and persecution because of that fervor. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, somehow it's very easy for us to to take our thirst for righteousness and turn it into something wholly unsavory. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. I, right. I, it's, it's probably what happens with self-righteousness, right? It's, a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. it's it, it is one of the ways that sin works, right? right. And, uh, you know, uh, I can't remember if it's Plato or Aristotle who says uh, that we tend to be very poor judges of ourselves. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that that's part of what happens. Right. Mm.
0: Do you mm. think that fervor that, that a lot of the younger generation has, um, do you think that is that fervor for justice <clears throat> is, is one of the things that, is kind of making them turn a little bit more towards like like socialism because uh, I've seen a lot of younger Christians and I've I've talked to several younger Christians who uh, who are like Bernie Sanders supporters and things like that and it seems like they've kind of forgotten the history of socialism and also the current issues of socialism. But do you yeah. think that that desire for justice is well placed but also misplaced in what they think is the the cure for that? Justice? Yeah,
1: I I think so. Um... You know, I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think about how complicated I want to get with the answer but, sure, it's, but, yeah. but what I would say is this one of the things that I try to help students understand mm-hmm. is that uh, there are there are the things that you want mm-hmm. and then there are the ways that we achieve the things that you want right mm-hmm. and and those methods always have to be judged mm-hmm. right and it, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter just what the intent is. We have, to, we have to look at what actually happens when you do those things. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that they're looking at Venezuela right, right now. Right. I mean, Venezuela, <coughs> depending on how you reckon it, Venezuela may be the most oil-rich country on the planet, mm-hmm. right? Right up there with Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. okay? And yet, you're talking about a country where people have been starving. People right. are literally losing Twenty pounds a year simply through lack of access yeah. to food yeah. in yeah. an incredibly oil-rich nation, and that is that is all mm-hmm. uh, on the chaos wrought by socialism in that country. And you mm-hmm. know, Bernie Sanders wants to say, uh, "Look at Sweden, you know, look at look at Norway, right. you know, places like that." This is not really socialism. Yeah, okay? exactly. Understand yeah. that what right. this mm-hmm. is is you have a capitalist system. Yep. And the government is, to some degree, I mean this nicely, parasitic yeah. upon that capitalist system, <laughs> yeah. and it's yeah. able to kind of distribute some of the wealth. But but right. let's not be fooled. These are still capitalist yeah. societies. Well, you had the leader mm. of
0: Norway, wasn't who who said, uh, "Don't don't look at us for exactly. socialism. That's not what yeah. we are." <laughs> like, look, you know, we're in the
1: we're in the international business thing here. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. right. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. So, I, I'm one of my uh, all-time. Favorite guys to read in, in regards to this is uh, Ronald Nash and uh, and he was always talking about how um, you know Christians shouldn't use the the gun of the state in order to push Christian charity and uh, and I, I thought that was just a really profound thing because I mean ultimately that's I think that Christians who are wanting socialism ultimately come from a good place of wanting to help. But I think that we, as Christians, also have to realize that our, our Christian charity also has to come with
1: economic planning,
0: and it's hard. And it's, it doesn't always seem like that's the right way to go, but in the long run, it helps.
1: Well, yeah, and I mean, the thing you said about government, this is something that I emphasize all the time. Mm-hmm. If you want, if I, if I, if you if you wanted me to give you a good like social science definition mm-hmm. of what is what is government, right? Mm-hmm. How is government different from every other institution in society?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the answer is: this is going to upset some people. The answer is: it is the institution in society that has a monopoly on the coercive use of violence.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That is what government is. Yeah, at yeah. the core, right? That is how it is different from any other institution in society, mm-hmm. right? And so, and and look, and I'm not saying that's invalid. I think I agree with Martin Luther. God gives us government right. to mm-hmm. to restrain sin, mm-hmm. to uh, to coerce and punish those who would do evil, right? Right. right. Uh, to prevent them from making the world into a desert and from preying upon the weak and you know things like that. Yeah. Um, but you have to understand that that. Uh, that that is not a power that you use just anywhere you feel like it. Yeah. yeah. Right? I right. Mean, yeah. right. Behind exactly. everything that the government does, yeah. the jail cell, the gun, the execution, the fine, you know, the tax, whatever, it's there. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And understand you're making someone do something, right? You are right. forcing them to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that should be a power that's sparingly used. It's not a magic wand.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess my last question and then I'll let you have a last question, too, if you have if you've got something. But yep. um, so my last question is, do you think that the government being used in that way, um, I guess, since you know, since Lyndon B. Johnson, you know, putting all these social welfare programs, do you think that has started to uh, corrode the the natural position of religious organizations, you know, specifically the church in, in a community?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, there's a reason why almost all the hospitals, you know, used to be named Baptist Hospital or St. Mary's Hospital or, you know, Lutheran Hospital or whatever. Right. I mean, you know, the uh, the massive weight of charity in this country was previously borne by the church. Mm -hmm. Right. And so over time, um, the government has crowded that out. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Now. I'm glad, right, for the extent to which uh more people are helped and that's that's all good. But sure. but also understand you mentioned LBJ mm-hmm. and the Great Society and the War on Poverty. Mm-hmm. Now, the hope with the War on Poverty was that I think that they thought that within, you know, a generation, 15 to 20 years, poverty in the US would be wiped out. Right. By those interventions, mm. okay. Now we all know because we live in America today that did not happen, right? Exactly. Right. right. Uh, you know uh, the the problem is is that as well intentioned as those programs were, uh, they had the effect of destroying the family structure of the underclass. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and you know, and again, nobody intended for that to happen. Mm-hmm. But it did happen. Mm-hmm. And so instead of simply having people who are poor, you you had this development of an entirely new way of life, yeah. right? Um, seemingly unbreakable cycles of poverty mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. dysfunction in people's lives. And so uh, so hopefully we have learned some lessons right. Right? Right. about how we intervene. But I don't know how we're ever going to undo some of the damage that we've done right. in that way. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
2: I have one more question, Um, and uh, this is backtracking a little bit, um, but uh, I wanted to get, uh, I guess, what advice would you give to young Christians or really any Christians that um, sort of within this current atmosphere, um, political and social, um, about um, sharing their faith, about uh, having open conversations about faith and, and being open and honest about, yeah, what we believe in even if they're yeah they're unpopular, they may be viewed as hate or bigotry. Um, it, what advice would you give to kind of Christians?
1: In that yeah, thing? there's a couple of things I say. So mm-hmm. so first is the advice Ruth gave me, which is to read. Right, you that's know right. The, uh, that's the that's the first. Um, but the but the other thing is, I often tell students that um, that look if you're if you're an evangelical, right, you're identified as a conservative Christian. Mm-hmm. The bar that people are setting for you is super low, right? You know right. They, they have a they have a <laughs> yeah. really low opinion of you, right from the get go. Right, it is, it's it's very easy for you to exceed their expectations, yeah. right? You know, so right. yeah. so that's that's the first thing. Okay, yeah. you know, you're not going to be a knuckle dragging idiot, you know. Right. Uh, so that's that's part one. Um, <clears throat> but the other thing is, is that it is very important not to let your Christianity. Turn into something like SEC fandom, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. being a Christian is not like being for the Tennessee Volunteers, you know, or for a better team like the uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, like the no. Alabama Crimson Tide, which right. I grew up with. Oh, uh, You're know, yeah. i from Knoxville. You better watch
0: it, sir. You better
1: watch it. You're lucky that I don't really pay attention to you sports. F- fortunately, the you know, <laughs> Jesus is holding us together, right? You know, <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> but 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 too many people allow their 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 political interaction to be like that yeah. right yeah. to to turn into this ridiculous tribal warfare thing yeah. Right? right yeah and we need to help people understand that that as Christians even when we disagree with them right mm-hmm. and even if you don't believe me I am for you
2: mm-hmm. right we right. are for you. Mm -hmm. that
1: is our that is our orientation right Right. we are we are with you for you before god Mm -hmm. right Right. and we are trying to we are trying to follow him Mm -hmm. and and to uh to be of help to you to love you as we do that Mm -hmm. right yeah Mm -hmm. uh so we have we have to assure people of our goodwill Mm -hmm. even when they disagree with us yeah
2: yeah kind of like this group of people that you were meeting at in college with and kept uh, totally back to. right they
1: were amazing yeah, yeah you know it's so <laughs> it's so great the way they they did not you know there were so many things that i didn't know where i would say something stupid or 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 insulting or yeah. whatever and they were just they just went with it right you know yeah. they they just maintained a consistent witness to scripture mm-hmm. uh, and and as importantly if not more importantly the witness that they showed me through their lives yeah yeah mm-hmm. and that
2: mm-hmm. did it yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't know how we are on time, but uh, if we have the time, I, we might have to edit this last one out. Okay. Um, uh, but I was just curious about uh, what are you reading right now?
1: I am reading a book by Pat Buchanan. Um, oh, okay. Now, Pat Buchanan. Uh, it's interesting. He, he, um, he is he is seen as kind of a precursor of Donald Trump because right. he ran some of these original anti NAFTA type campaigns and things like that. Um, I knew him because when I was a teenager, he was on one of those early cable shows, Crossfire, right? Right, right, Oh, yeah. And so he would be the conservative doing Battle with the Liberal every night, and so I knew him that way. Right. Um, But before all that, he was a personal aide to Richard Nixon. Oh, cool. Wow. And uh, and Pat Buchanan has written three kind of autobiographical books, first about his life and then his life with Nixon. Interesting. Um, So the first one is right from the beginning about growing up in D.C., um, and then the other two are uh, The Greatest Comeback, which is Nixon's return from obscurity mm-hmm. after losing in 1960 and 62. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then when he comes back to the White House. And then the third one is Nixon's White House Wars about the okay. battle within the White House wow. and then with Watergate and stuff yeah. like that. After Interesting. That. And Buchanan, uh, whatever you think about him politically, he is a fantastic chronicler sure. uh, of events, You yeah. know, particularly involving his own life.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Man. Well, yeah, we're out of time, but uh, thank you so much. You, you mentioned you have a blog, so where can people, if they want to learn a little bit more about you or read some of the stuff that you've y- you've done, where can they find sure. you? Sure.
1: Well, I feel like I blog less and less these days, although probably when I blog now, it's at the Acton Institute blog, okay. um, and I'll be at Acton University in Grand Rapids um, this June. Okay. Amazing international gathering of like a thousand f- people from all over the world, mm-hmm. uh, who are interested in religion and liberty. Oh, very um, cool. I, uh, have my own blog, hunterbaker.wordpress.com. So there's a gazillion years worth of stuff there. <laughs> um, and, uh, three books all available via Amazon. You Google me, you'll see a ton of things. I've been writing and speaking for years and years and years. Awesome. So, yeah. Awesome.
0: Well, Hey, we appreciate it so
1: much. Thank you for taking the time to, uh, Thank you. to come and talk to us. Oh, Twitter and Facebook. Oh, there you go. I'm the oldest Hunter Baker on social media. So so on (laughs) Twitter, I'm at Hunter Baker. And Facebook, I'm the original, you know, the Hunter Baker. So you can find me there. Very nice. Very nice.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you again. And uh, we hope to uh, maybe do this. I can ask you a thousand more questions. So hopefully we'll be able to do this again sometime soon. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Truth for Doubt discussion series. If you want to learn more about the Truth for Doubt ministry, email us anytime at truthfordoubt at gmail.com. That is truthfordoubt at gmail.com. If you would like to learn how you could become a supporter of the Truth for Doubt ministry, send us an email or feel free to visit our Patreon page at patreon.com t4d. That is patreon.com t the number 4d. Thank you for listening.